Well, hey everyone. It's uh, kind of cool to follow the youth because the energy came up a little bit, but I, hopefully I can keep it there. Before I get going though, I just do, do want to make you aware uh, that a couple weeks ago we sent out email invitations uh, to, to you guys to ask you to consider joining membership here at the church. We're reinstituting membership and we sent out an e- email, we announced it, and we've, we've gotten lots of responses, but... We think there might still be some out there that haven't responded. So first, I want to remind you to, to look for that email. And if you haven't received the email or you missed the email and you'd like to get that email invite to join the membership here, uh, Kip will be in the lobby after the service. You can just grab him. He'll make sure you get what you need uh, so you can officially call K2 your home as a member. And it's important to do it quickly because over the next week, I think you're gonna, there's going to be another email uh, inviting you to vote on some bylaws and some things like that. So make sure you do that, okay? That's just a quick commercial. We are in the fourth week of a series we've called Beyond the Walls, where we're looking at this historic church that we find recorded in the book of Acts by the author Luke. And uh, it, it's, it's a very unique community that we haven't seen before or since. And uh, we're, we're looking at how this community was able to do some amazing things because they lived submitted to the Spirit of God. And so we're going to be exploring that today. It's, I'm pretty excited to share with you, uh, and this, truthfully, as I'm talking about this, this topic today, this probably isn't even one of my greatest strengths. So this was a challenging week as I prepared uh, with this. But we're going to take a look at, at what we're calling, we've, we've talked about the power of fellowship, we talked about the power of worship, we talked about the power of the word last week, and this week we're talking about the power of compassion. And immediately I think to myself, it's an oxymoron. Power and compassion seem at odds with each other, not in united with each other. But what we're going to find is as we look at this example through Scripture, we're going to see that compassion is an actually very, is, is a very powerful thing for us. And when you think about compassion, you know, you can think about a lot of different ways. Like there's, there's like organizational compassion, like Compassion International, that'll, you can send a check in and they'll feed people. Or uh, we have international missions here through the church. Uh, that organizationally, uh, you know, we do the clothing closet. You just heard about the foster care. And so there, there are tons of things that we do organizationally. There's also like, like uh, group uh, compassion. Maybe your small group uh, signs up on a, on a meal plan because someone's sick or they've just had a baby and you help them through uh, that time. Um, you know, we, we just, Marge is sitting right here and we just had a group that was able to go and help work on your bathroom, which was cool. So, and, and then there's like individual, individual uh, compassion. You know, maybe you mow the neighbor's lawn down the street or uh, maybe as you're getting off the highway and you see the person with the sign that says, I need some help. And maybe you give them, you can give them money. Uh, there, there are just, there's never a shortage of ways to be involved in compassionate activities. And uh, you can be involved 24-7 and at a varying level. But here's something that I, when I started studying this, I began to wonder, I wonder what the effects of being involved in compassion, not someone being compassionate to me, but me actually involving myself in outward compassion beyond these walls. And I was kind of fascinated what the science and what the research showed. First of all, I don't know if you know this, but compassion can reduce your risk of heart disease. 
because it promotes, it boosts the positive effects of the vagus nerve, which helps slow down the beating of your heart. (laughs) Secondly, compassionate people are more resilient to stress because being involved in compassion strengthens your immune response. The third one is that we're less vulnerable to the negative effects of loneliness. This was fascinating to me. And these are all from studies, by the way. Like, if there, there's, there's this pandemic going on, right? Did you hear about it? It's called COVID. Well, there's another pandemic going on. It's called loneliness. And it is skyrocketing. And if you want to maybe figure out a step, maybe consider being involved in compassion. And this was really interesting from a study called The Science of Compassion. They found what they called compassionate societies, and they, 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 they quantified these as uh, societies that take care of their most vulnerable members and assist other nations in need. And this was an interesting kicker. Kids, you're not off the hook because it involved children who performed more acts of kindness. And what they found with these communities was that they were the happiest communities in the world. And then finally, a Stanford study, just to make it all legit, Stanford, right? They found that when we focused on ourselves, we experienced less happiness. And when we gave of ourselves, we experienced greater happiness. So here's what I want to tell you to do. Be really selfish and think about others. It's the best thing for you. And I'm only kind of joking. But the thing that's interesting about this is that this idea, the medical science and the research actually supports our like our design. We were created to be in communities. We were created to be serving in communities and we were, being, we were created to be looking outward, not inward. It speaks to our humanity. And I just wanna, just a quick a plug. If you're here today and you would find yourself saying something like, you know what, this, what you're talking about today, Mike, this is the very reason I walked away from faith. This right here. The people who were supposed to be the most compassionate in my life, when I needed compassion, or my mom or my family, we needed compassion. And when we needed it more, those people who were supposed to be compassionate were nowhere to be found. I mean, you know what what I got from those people? I got judgment. If that's your story, I hope it's not, but if it's your story, I cannot tell you how heartbreaking that is to hear, but I want you to bear with me today because I don't want you to make the mistake of walking away from your faith that calls us to be compassionate because someone doesn't really do a good job being compassionate. You see the incongruency there, don't you? So just bear with me today, because this speaks to our design and speaks to what God calls us to be and how he calls us to live with each other in in, in this global community and even in our smaller communities. So here's what I wanna do today. I wanna take a look at this Acts 2 and Acts 4 church It was unprecedented. And I want to make some observations about the church. And then I want to help us understand what do those observations mean to me and you today? That was a long time ago. But what does it mean to you and me today? And then, just to keep it interesting, when I'm done with that, I'm going to tell every single person here in this room today exactly what you have to do. 
Not even joking. But before you file out, saying I'm not really interested in what you have to say, before you file out, again, hang with me because I'm not, I, I, I think that what I will tell you may not be what you think. And I believe science bears it out. Listen, even if you don't believe in Jesus, compassion is the best thing you can do. This is my learning for the week. So that's what we're gonna do. But first I wanna tell you a quick story about me and compassion. It's a little bit of low-key version, but about a month ago, I was gonna go uh, eat lunch with uh, uh, Tom Smith. Some of you guys know Tom and uh, Jason Wilford. And so I'm driving there and I swerve and I hit a curb with my tire and my tire immediately goes flat. But I have just enough time to get off because there's a gas station right there. So I get to the gas station. I pull over, get my spare tire out. It's gonna be five minute fix, no big deal. And then I get, this, get the uh, jack. It's called the jack. <laughs> if you need your car fixed, don't call me, okay? Anyway, uh, so I, I get the jack out and I start jacking it up. And then all of a sudden it starts to raise up and it's really hard. And all of a sudden the thing goes, kunk. <laughs> yep, <laughs> I'm not alone. Anyway, so I'm sitting there for a minute trying to figure out what am I going to do with this? Like I, and I pull it out and the car slams back down the ground. You know, I pull it out and then I'm like, oh man, this thing's, this jack is literally jacked. And so, um, so I'm sitting there for a minute scratching my head and then I turn around. And I'm like, you know what? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go into the gas station and just see if they have a spare jack. I turn around, I take two steps and there's this girl walking towards me. She's like 25 and she's looking at me like she's going to talk to me. And I'm like, I don't know who this is. This is a little bit weird. And then she says, hey, do you need some help? I go. <laughs> oh, no, this is, that's not even the good part. Anyway, <laughs> so I say, uh, you know what I need is I need, I need a jack for my car. Do you have a spare jack? And she goes, she turns around, she walks in. She comes back out. She's got this whole toolbox. It's got tools and the jack and everything. And uh, so she, she puts the jack under the car. And I say, well, thanks. Thanks for letting me borrow it. She says, and I'm quoting, she says, I'll do it. I used to be a grease monkey. <laughs> Knock yourself out. So she puts the jack on her. She cranks it up, but the wheel is still clearly on the ground. And then she starts loosening the lug nuts. And I'm like, oh, do you need me to jack that up more for you? And she's like, no. <laughs> Not to get the lug nuts loose or else the wheel's going to spin. I'm like, that's why that happens. <laughs> So she does that. I'm like, yeah, of course. Yeah, I'm joking. And so she then, uh, so she, she fixes the tire and then she, she, she tightening the, the lug nuts. We put everything away and she, she steps onto the, you know, the, the jack, the, the iron, tire iron or whatever you call it. And she's like, she looks at me and she says, well, I, I weigh whatever, like three pounds more than air or something. And she says, I weigh this amount. I don't remember what it is. Uh, but so I won't be able to get any more pressure on your lug nuts than that. And I go, I can. <laughs> and she goes, no, that's exactly how much pressure you want. If you over tighten them, you can ruin your lug nuts. I'm like, of course, <laughs> crazy. Anyway, so she fixes the tire I put away. I say, thanks. She disappears. And this thought hit me immediately that every single person that drove past me thought to themselves, I cannot believe that guy is making his daughter change his tire. <laughs> but then I realized when I was studying for this, no, no. If the medical science and research supports that thinking of others is good for you, 
I was blessing this girl. That's the kind of leader you have. So you're welcome. Well, I know that's kind of a low-key story about compassion because I could have just called, you know, like roadside assistance. But what happens when compassion gets amped up, like 211? And that's what we're going to be looking at in this community. Now, if you remember in Acts... It's the book that follows immediately after the death of Jesus, right? He, he was crucified, he dies, he's buried, he raises from the dead. People are kind of trying to figure that out. And then he spends 40 days on earth visiting with the disciples and appearing to people. And uh, then, he, then he does this weird thing. He tells them, hey, don't leave Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes. And uh, he compares, he does this weird thing that I got to believe the disciples are scratching their head going, what is, I still don't know. He died and resurrected. I still don't know what he means. And they're like, because he says, you know, John baptized with water and you're going to be baptized too with the Holy Spirit. It's going to be like that. And I got to believe they're going, what are we going to be dunked in Holy Spirit juice? They're like, well, how does that work? Anyway, so they wait and, uh, and he tells them when the Spirit comes, by the way, here's what's going to happen. You're going to be filled with like, like superhero spirit power. You're going to be able to do amazing, amazing, amazing things. Unbelievable stuff. And then as he's telling him, he floats, literally floats into the sky and disappears. <laughs> Probably they're thinking, maybe we can, we'll be able to do that. I don't know. But then he disappears. And then just a little more than a week later, Pentecost comes. Now that's the day when they're sitting around and all of a sudden they hear these gale force winds. They have these like flames of fire that appear above their head. They start talking in languages they don't know. And here's, this is such a deal that people come from around and they're all watching this thing. And they're going, they're drunk. This is crazy. What's going on here? They're, hey, I understand that. They, he speaks my language. And to the point where 3,000 people in one day join the community of Christ follower. I mean, this is a big deal. And this is all because the craziness is going on because they are submitting themselves to living by the Spirit. And so we're going to pick up chapter 2 of Acts, and it says this, And all the believers met together in one place and shared, everything, shared 10% of what they had. No, they shared everything they had. They sold property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. Now, this is like, like this event is like Woodstock minus the drugs and the alcohol. Only the people looking in are like, this is like Woodstock with the drugs and alcohol, the craziness that was going on. And then verse, chapter four, it continues. And it says, all the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own. So they shared everything they had the apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people. How many? None. Because those who owned land and houses would sell and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. For instance, and this is like a little weird thing and I'm gonna talk about this just for a second. And then he goes on this little diatribe. For instance, there was Joseph, the one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi, and he came from the island of Cyprus. He, he sold the field that he owned 
He brought the money to the apostles. And sometimes when you're reading scripture, by the way, you might come across these moments where you're like, okay, cool story, I'm with you. Wait, why are you throwing in this obscure example? Right, you ever have that moment? You're like, I don't get where he's going with this. Well, again, you gotta remember when Luke is writing, he's not writing the Bible. He's writing an account to this guy, Theophilus, who was a government official. And he, it's, like, it's like this. It's like if he was having this in a conversation, he'd be, he'd be saying this. Hey, Theophilus, you remember uh, Joseph? No, no, the, no, not that one. The one that they called Barnabas, son of encouragement guy from Cyprus. Yeah, the Levite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know him? Yes. He's one that did this. Why don't your government official walk down to the deeds office and you can fact check me. And the reason I tell you this, this is super, super important. It's not really the point of the message, but this is important. The reason I tell you this is because last week we talked about the power of the word of God. And today more than ever, the authority of God's word is in question. And what I wanna tell you is that if you're writing an account and you're trying to make something up to blow past people, you don't use these uniquely obscured, easily bogused out details. But when you're trying to prove that this is a true account, you include the details because the people who are reading it can trust the authority and the authenticity of it, right? So we can believe in the power of the word. Just a comfort, that's a side note. But let me ask you a question though. Three questions I wanna ask you as we get going here today. This community was united in heart and mind. Does that feel like today? No. What they owned, they didn't view as their own. They gave everything they had. There was no one in need. Raise your hand if you would say, I would like to live in a community like that. Let me see your hands. Community that has no need. Most of us here. Let me ask you another question. How many of you would like to live in a society where everyone was united in heart and mind. Miss your hands. Okay, about the same. Let me ask you a third question. What would you be willing to do in order to make that a reality? Because it happened. It happened. And God's call is for us to live like that. So here are four observations that I think are gonna be super valuable in us pursuing this kind of community where we're all about everyone and less about ourselves. The first is this. First observation is that there is no community without compassion. There is no community without compassion. You could say it this way too. No community, no compassion. No compassion, no community, right? This uh, is Karen Armstrong. She's the founder of the global movement called the Charter for Compassion. She says, makes this statement, and this is just absolutely brilliant to me. She says, a compassionate city is an uncomfortable city. A city that is uncomfortable when anyone is homeless or hungry. Uncomfortable if every child isn't loved and given rich opportunities to grow and thrive. Uncomfortable when a community, as a community, we, when we don't treat our neighbors as we wish to be treated. There's a story, this is uh, it from about, about 24 years ago, almost to the day, May, May 16th in 1998, this, uh, the, the headline read, just outside hospital, teen lay bleeding to death. Christopher Searcy was his name, he was 15 years old at the time. And uh, 
he was playing basketball with his friends and a car drove by and sprayed gunshot into the, just into the people. And he got hit and it hit his aorta and his friends took him to this hospital, but they could only get him within 30 feet of the hospital. And they had to stop. So they laid him down and they ran into the hospital to try and get the hospital people to come out and treat him. But the hospital policy would not allow these doctors to administer care outside the hospital. After a while, finally, the police got intervened. They took, the, took Chris and they took him in and the doctors worked on them. I don't, I'm, by the way, I'm not trying to paint a bad picture of medical people. This is, a, they're following policy. Anyway, the police take him in, the doctors work on him, but it was too late and he passed away. And I tell you this story for this reason. Because a community that is governed by bylaws and impersonal guidelines and rules and laws, which are good things, does not create unity. It creates division. If you don't follow my rules, you're not in my community. If you follow my rules, you're in my community. And if we're governed by those laws and bylaws that will not submit to compassion instead of unity, disunity, therefore not community. So a community without compassion is not a community at all. The second is this, though, this observation. The compassion begins in our hearts, but it ends in our hands. It begins in your hearts, but it ends in your hands. You know, and, and you've heard this saying, you know, I'm sure you've heard this saying, it's the thought that counts. Well, sort of. You know, I think if you were to think about that, it would be more, that would be more like empathy. I really, that's really, I, I, can, I can relate to what you're saying or I, I hear that and it's tragic. Compassion is different. Compassion is like empathetic awareness of your needs but I have to do something about it. I have to act. As a matter of fact, uh, the definition when I looked it up was pretty interesting. The sympathetic awareness of others, distress, coupled with a desire to alleviate suffering. It's empathy plus pro-social action to improve the condition of others. And up until, you know, up until now, I haven't really defined or gone into all this Greek and whatever, but I do want to just share one word with you. It's called spagling, spagling, Spagnizomai. Spagnizomai. That's the Greek word, okay? Spagnizomai. Now, what it means is this to be moved to one's bowels, hence to be moved with compassion or have compassion. Now, let me just explain something here. Uh, to be moved to one's bowels, in that time, they thought that, that the bowels, the deepest part of your body, were the seat of love and mercy. It's where your emotions lived in the deepest part. So, if you come up to me afterwards, for instance, and you say, my great message, I moved my bowels listening to it, okay? <laughs> I'm not gonna take that as a compliment. Today, that means something else. But in that time, that, what it meant was, I am so uncomfortable, I'm so unsettled by the internal emotion or the dis disconnect in the emotion that I've got going on that I must act. That's what compassion is. I have to do something about this. Spagnizomai. And what's interesting is you look at Jesus' life and you see that during his time, this is so 
just all over the way he interacted with people. Look, when he's, he was healing the multitudes and in Matthew 9, and it says, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion, spagni zomai, for them. And then he began healing every sickness. And then in, in, in Matthew 15, when he feeds the 5,000, you remember this? And he says, he saw the multitudes and he was moved with compassion for them. And then he healed the sick. And then what did he do? He says, what, what are his disciples telling him? Send them away. It's too many. Oh, we got to feed them. Their need is hunger. Feed them. Same happens in Matthew 15 when he feeds 4,000. Then there's, uh, he heals two blind men. It's interesting. He comes into the city and the blind men are hell, you know, yelling, hey, heal us, heal us. And the crowd is literally telling him, sh- telling these two guys, shut up. Shut up. You're outside group. You're not in the inside group. Be quiet. And Jesus, it says, was moved with compassion. And he had compassion on them and touched their eyes and immediately they, they, their uh, sight was healed. That's in Matthew 20, then in Mark 1. And this is maybe the most fascinating to me. It, when Jesus heals a leper, he comes into town, not a leper, a leper, sorry. The, I don't think leopards live in Jerusalem. So <laughs> that much, at least. Uh, anyway, he heals the leopard and, and it says this in Mark 1. Then Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him. The leprosy left him and he was cleansed. And here's something I want to point out. He, in, in this time again, leprosy was thought to be a highly transmittable disease by touch. I could touch you and I would get, your, I would get leprosy. So they had whole colonies where people had to go live away from everyone else, where they couldn't spread the disease. And what did Jesus do to heal him? Here's a guy who's in the dregs of society. He has this horrible disease. He's probably never had human touch for years. And Jesus said, I know your need is the leprosy thing, but you need to be touched as well. See, this shows that compassion in Jesus' mind is an action verb. It's not a thought or idea. It's not just empathy. It demonstrates the ways he interacted with them. And that's the third point, that compassion is the nature of God's relationship with us. Now, Jesus came to earth for the very purpose of restoring us back into right relationship and healing us and giving us the things we need. Even though we're told in scripture on a couple of occasions, even though he was fully God, he didn't come to be served, he came to be served. And to what extent? That he would give everything, including his life. And if I asked you to describe God's character, I, I think it'd be interesting to hear what you would have to say. I'm sure we'd hear a lot of, have some great discussion about it. But I think it would be all kind of, we'd hear different versions of what we think God's character would be. But the writers of the Bible, however, were consistent in the way they described God's character. They described it like this, Exodus 34, 6. They say, he's compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. And then we see in Psalm 116:5, the Lord is gracious and righteous, full of spagnizomai. We see in In Psalm 103, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. I almost called this point, compassion is not earned because it demonstrates how God's desire was 
You don't have to earn it. This is a gift for you. But the point is this, that this is the very defining nature of the relationship we have with God. It's based in compassion. Which kind of leads me to another point, and that is that compassion is also what God asks of us in our relationships with each other. And this is the very reason that Acts community could flourish like it did because they were so beyond these walls, focused on what other people needed rather than themselves. Following the power of the Holy Spirit, doing incredibly difficult things, challenging things. Luke 6, 36 kind of puts it point blank. It says this, you must be compassionate just as your father is compassionate. So if, and, or but, James, James 2 says this, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and be fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is that? And obviously that's a rhetorical question. The answer is there's no good in that. There's much bad in that. That's the person who says, this is why I'm walking away from faith. Because when I needed it the most, no one was there for me. So I want to ask you three questions as we close out this mor- uh, tonight. How many of you would like to live in a society where there was no need? How many of you would like to live in a society where we were united in mind and heart? And then what would you do in order to make that happen? And I'm gonna invite the band up as we transition into some music here at the end. But you say, great, Mike, I, this is a gift I have. I can read your minds. It was a joke, apparently funnier to me than you. But anyway. <laughs> Here's my mind reading. You're saying, great, Mike. So what are you actually asking? Now, right, I said I was gonna tell you with great certainty. And here's the sales pitch. Now we had, remember at the beginning, we had uh, our, our um, foster care and foster love and care communities. Yeah, I'm not actually gonna ask you to join that. It's none of my business, quite frankly. But here's what I am gonna ask you. You know, there are tons of opportunities. You can be financially generous. Again, the foster care stuff or, or the care portal. You could join the rescue mission. Clothing closet we do once a month. Eswatini or Honduras, you could take a missions trip. You can support them over there. You can, you, you know, you, maybe your small group can, can do something for other people. Maybe you could look for someone at your work that needs compassion. Maybe someone in your family that needs compassion. Someone on the street corner that needs compassion. Maybe someone here at K2 that needs compassion. Maybe at the checkout stand. Hey, kids, maybe at your school. Sports team. Here's what I'm going to ask of you, and actually what I'm going to tell you. Every single one of us should be asking God, 
to make us uncomfortable about the fact that we are not an Acts 2 community. That's the first thing. The second thing is this. Ask him to reveal to you the thing he wants you to be uncomfortable with. And listen, if you walk away today and you go, I'm not uncomfortable with anything, that's your choice. That's up to you. Ask God to make you uncomfortable. Ask him to reveal the specific thing he wants you to be uncomfortable about and then look for opportunities. Keep your head up and beyond the walls, not inward. You'll never find the compassion that God is calling you to be involved in as long as you're looking inward. So I'm gonna pray for us, but before I do, I just wanna share one closing story. I think it's a good example for us. There was a teacher, she was teaching six, six-year-olds uh, math and the topic was fractions. And uh, she, in, in her class, she had a number of, of stu- students who had recently arrived. They were refugees from another, another country. And she, she's teaching fractions and she explains the difference between one half and one quarter. And she asked the students all, would you rather have a half of a chocolate bar or would you rather have a quarter of a chocolate bar? Well, most of her students answered correctly and said, I want a half. But many of her new refugee students answered a quarter. And she realized immediately she she had to reteach because they didn't get the concept. And so she she first began by asking a question. She said, so tell me, why why would you want a quarter instead of a half? And the answer floored her because their answer was this. Because... If I get a quarter, there's more for someone else. So that's how we should be pursuing what God has for us. And when he gives us stuff, it's to go outward. And we're gonna pray now and then we're gonna transition. Close your eyes with me. You guys can stand too, if you would. Lord Jesus, we invite you into this moment, into into our minds, into our hearts, into our emotions, into our motivations. Reveal to us the areas where we're looking so deeply into our own hearts that we can't even lift our heads up to see the need and we're not uncomfortable, we're completely comfortable. Make us move from our comfort zone. Make us aware that you have more for us and you have more for everyone. Make us the Acts 2 community where no one has need and we're united in spirit. Thank you for your love and thanks for the grace when we fail. Thanks for the second, third, fourth, and fifth chances. We love you so much, Jesus. We ask all this in your name. Amen.